You're listening to Her Body IOFM with your hosts, Alex Navarro and Andrea Jengel, the women's source for optimal health and lifelong performance. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Her Body, brought to you by Body.io FM. I'm your host, Andrea Jengel. Everyone calls me AJ, and I'm here with my co-host, Alex Navarro. Hey, Alex, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's uh, We got our long weekend. I know you guys, uh, well, this won't make sense because this will air way after uh, these <laughs> holidays, but it's 4th of July for... Uh, you guys, this weekend, but Canada Day is the 1st of July, which fell on a Wednesday this week. So I'm just kind of like, Ugh. Mm-hmm. yes, that was yesterday. And I'm just trying to catch up with life. <laughs> it's it's so, nice yeah. sometimes taking a, a, like a midweek day off, but then it throws everything else off after that. Oh, yeah. It's all mm-hmm. good. Like the day before, you're like, yes, tomorrow's a holiday. And the day after, like, that was maybe not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> No, just kidding. It was worth it. I got to do some awesome things, did some stand-up paddle boarding and played bocce ball and did all sorts of stuff outside while dodging major thunderstorms. So it was oh, that's pretty exciting. fun. Yeah, it was. It was kind of like, it was the opposite of storm chasing. Like instead of, like we were chasing away the storms, it seemed everywhere we went, the storm was just about to pass or whatever. So it worked out pretty well. Oh, there you go. Can't complain. Good, good. good. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> Uh, I won't jabber for too long because I think we're going to have a lot of material to cover today uh, because our topic is what is commonly known as female phase training or, um, I mean, to put it more basic, would be coordinating uh, your female hormone cycle with your lifting and nutrition. (laughs) (laughs) So coordinating your period and everything that happens around it (laughs) with what you do in the gym and what you eat. Um, it's a pretty common topic. Uh, it's kind of like come and gone in waves. I think, um, there was a, well, metabolic effect wrote about it quite a few, I think it was a couple of years ago at least. Mm -hmm. And then it was a, that came up not with a metabolic effect, but with some other guests one time on a Rob Wolf podcast. Um, it was, male coaches who train female athletes and that's where the discussion came up and then you know once again it just like got really trendy again people started like focusing on it and then I think uh, some like popular bodybuilding sites of in the past year you know just kind of brought it all up again and right you know it it, it just kind of comes in waves uh it seems to be popular at times and then it just kind of dies off um but we do get a lot of questions about it so well, and, and it's um, a very interesting topic. I mean, there's so many places that you could go with it, both in just understanding what's happening and the potential if someone were interested in trying to manipulate that and take advantage of, of these cycles. Um, but it's also, it's like, it's really interesting when you read about it. And then for those who are, you know, perhaps newer at implementing protocols or, or you know, navigating their training, it can just become a, a kind of a tedious task on top of everything else that we have to do. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. So what I'd like to talk about today is um, I don't really want to talk about too much of like the female cycle and the hormone fluctuations and all that stuff. We're just going to kind of summarize what female phase training is all about and what the theories are. 
Um, you know, in the show notes, we can provide um, some resources if you guys want to look into it. But then I, you know, would like to talk about our experiences because you and I both tinkered with this, mm-hmm. and you know, just more often than not, there's just like life circumstances that come up and just practical applications of things where things just become a headache and we can discuss those things and why. And then you guys can establish for yourself if it's something that you want to tackle. But um, let's get into, let's just do a summary first of um, the female menstrual cycle. So we're all on the same page here and uh, bear with me. I am actually looking at some notes as I go over this because there's just things I didn't want to miss. So there's basically two phases of your menstrual cycle. The first phase, which would be um, from the first day of your period uh, to basically about day 14 where you ovulate. And this is what's known as the follicular phase. So um, some people just refer to this as phase one. What's important to know is that it's more of an estrogen dominant phase and it's from basically the first day of your period till about ovulation. And then there's a second phase, which is the luteal phase, which is basically from ovulation to the beginning of uh, menses or when your period starts. And uh, that's more of a progesterone dominant phase. And um, so let me just break down. So I'm not going to go into all the science. Like I said, we want to talk about the practical application of that. And if we go into all the science, which you can find online, uh, we might not, we will run out of time. So in theory, um, the estrogen dominant phase, phase one, it would be a time where you're more insulin sensitive. And um, the second phase after ovulation would be a time where you're more insulin resistant. Now, what I will say about the science is that there are a lot of studies to show that this is in fact true. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sitting here trying to argue with the studies that have been done. Um, let's just say that, yeah, there's a lot of studies to show that it is true. Um, through these different phases, um, you do go through these patterns. Now, we should just, I should just backtrack a minute here and cover who this does not apply to. So if you're on, (laughs) very important, (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't mean stop listening if you fall into these categories, because it's still interesting. But if you are on hormonal birth control of any kind, if you are premenopausal or if you don't get a regular period, um, so you'll see a lot of women who do endurance sports, who are on a low calorie, low car, sorry, low low fat diet. um, Sometimes they actually don't menstruate. Um, if so any people th- that fall into those categories, even like exploring female phase training would be completely pointless for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I just think we should cover that right off the bat because that actually was one of the questions on the Facebook page. So, um, you can check that one off our list. Perfect. Um, Alex, you just keep me on track if I, you know, okay. lose sight here of what I'm talking about. You're good. You're good. Um, I'm good. All righty. So, um, so we're talking about how in the first phase, you, you'll be technically more insulin sensitive. So this might be a time where you might want to load your carbohydrates more frequently. Um, it's also a time where in general, you're more anabolic. Mm, now, I would say this greatly depends on what your caloric intake is anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, the theory is, the theory is, and this is kind of what I, I don't like about some of the written articles out there on some of the bodybuilding sites is they're basically telling people to, to go through like build phase kind of training for two weeks of their cycle and then basically focus on fat loss for the second phase of your cycle. Right. Which, <laughs> I mean, in and of itself can be a little, <laughs> I mean, a challenging to, to try to switch gear, gears in general even if it's like you're going long periods of time between psych, you know, training cycles. But if someone were to try to make a shift within just a few weeks, it's a lot of work. It, and, and I really don't think it's effective. I think, you know, you're just going to lose sight of what your real priority is. I'm actually just, I actually just submitted an article about how important appropriate short-term goals are. And for me, changing any goal every two weeks, I think is completely asinine, but um, you'll see in some of these popular articles, that's kind of what they're getting at. So mm-hmm. kind of train like a bodybuilder, you're more catabolic, you can get away with more um, cardio in the first phase of your training. And then when the second phase of your training, so after ovulation, first phase um, of the cycle, not, not training. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. First phase of the cycle, you're more um, anabolic and you can get away with things like cardio um, more often and that sort of stuff. And then you want to like it's kind of weird because they tell you to do cardio at that time of the the month, and then they also say to try to bulk up. So it, it to me, it's all very very conflicting. Um, and if you know when you go in and read these articles, you might actually find them confusing, and that's why they are they're very conflicting in my opinion. There's a couple of them that are you know well written, and the other ones I think are just kind of junky. Mm-hmm. So then they're saying that, you know, in the second phase of your training, that's when you would want to reduce your carbohydrate intake significantly, um, not really do any cardio because you're more inclined to be catabolic, blah, 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 stress hormones go up. So you don't want to put too much pressure on yourself with training. Uh, and then, of course, to make it even ultra confusing for people, they're like, try to hit a PR when you're ovulating, because that's when <laughs> testosterone's the highest, and, <laughs> and and that's when you're going to be the strongest. And it's like, okay, okay, so let's let's pick this apart a little bit. <laughs> and, well, there's there's and, a lot of help- variation in in someone's cycle as well like there there are general numbers you know how many days into your cycle this happens but it is still variable from person to person so whether that's within a few days or not so someone could start ovulating as soon as two days after their menstrual cycle so even though there is like a baseline of this is generally when it when these these cycles happen and then they take place there is a lot of variability within that so you know if someone were interested they'd have to be tracking their cycle very very consistently and probably get some additional help i would assume if they wanted to really know unless you're just that in tune with your body where you're like oh i feel my ovulation which some people do but most most of us aren't that that body conscious or have the ability to figure out when that's happening yeah i mean i have signs that i think are pretty uh obvious and i have done like an ovulation test and I have been accurate with that but it doesn't mean that I'm accurate every month like I would have to do that test every single month but like you said to go to those lengths to try to do something like this to um, manipulate your training and nutrition uh, I don't know you, you know you see people going to those kind of measures when they're trying to conceive and that makes sense and you know that's a stressful experience in itself so to do this all the time I can't imagine doing that but 
what I, what I did want to backtrack um, before we start talking about all these little details. And what I want to talk about is that elevated cortisol and being just insulin resistant or just eating a lot of carbohydrates in general would completely sabotage any efforts to try to manipulate your female uh, monthly hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see that in some of the literature that they'll say that cortisol and insulin in general trump um, sex hormone manipulation in terms of diet and training. So unless you have those under control, there's no point in doing this. And I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Now, what they refer to as like, unless you're already on a low carb diet, this isn't, you know, really that um, effective. You know, there's, they don't put that into context. They don't say what that low carbohydrate diet is. In my opinion, it's still not an ultra low carbohydrate diet. I found that to be true as well. So then my argument would be if you were still just kind of on like a moderate low carb diet, sure, you might have, uh, you know, your insulin and cortisol under control. But if you were to take it to an ultra low carb diet and start manipulating protocols like carb night and carb backloading, I almost find this whole phase training thing to be completely pointless because I think carb night and carb backloading manipulate things on a level that makes this kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mute? Uh, Moo? Yeah, redundant. It's like, (laughs) yeah, I really do. So, (laughs) you know, some of the common questions we get is like, well, wouldn't you carb backload during the first phase and then in the second phase just go to a carb night? protocol. Hmm, so let's talk about that. <laughs> I want to hear your opinion now because we might have different opinions, right? And it's that's true. why it's good that we have both of us on here, even though it's funny because a lot of the time we talk about stuff and we're like, yep, figured the exact same thing, thing for myself. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> I so, would say, um, you know, just like you had mentioned before, it is important to understand what and, and have and, and decide what your goal is. What ultimately are you going for? And let that be the driving force to, you know, whatever protocol you decide to follow. And then from there, follow that protocol. Whatever yeah. that, whichever so one that may it's be. be carb night or carb backloading. And Correct. it might even be a variation of the two. A lot of women, you know, that's where we find our kind of happy place. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if it, we're in a maintenance phase or like trying to build. Right. Um, and then the other thing is that... <laughs> The other thing that goes, and this is where I find a lot of women that try to manipulate uh, phase training with nutrition are like, well, this is backwards compared to my cravings. So they're telling you to go ultra low carb, very, very low carb, um, basically when you're PMS. Mm -hmm. So you might be fine for that first part of the second phase of your cycle. But then as you approach your period, you're going to, those carb cravings are natural um, I'm actually going to write an article um, about that shortly, and some of the advice out there I think is actually wrong, so I'm going to tackle that in that article, so I'm not going to get into it too much here, but um, you'll see if you try to follow the guidelines of like a typical phase training template, um, they're basically telling you to reduce your carbs when you're craving your carbs <laughs> and, and jack up your carbs when you're really not that hungry and you don't really want them. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, through my own experience, if I just stick to carb night and have like some very, very small carb backloads when I'm PMS, I'm 
those carb cravings completely go away. I feel great. I actually don't have a lot of PMS. And that would actually contradict what they suggest with phase training. And I completely and agree. I, and, I think it's because, and I think it's because when you're using carbonate and carb backloading, your carbs are already so strategic and they're, they're basically minimal. And I just don't really think that it's something that you need to worry about. Agreed. Before, okay. before starting either of the protocols, I had had pretty extreme waves of, of cravings in, at various points in, in the cycle, but especially that, that week leading up to the period. And I was, that was probably one of the biggest surprises that I noticed was my cravings completely disappeared. Completely disappeared. Yeah. And that was just like still doing carb night or were yeah, you carb that was completely that just too? doing carb night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That you know, you just made me think of a really good point. I experienced generally the same thing that you did, but I will get cravings time to time. But it changes month to month. And that's yes. what I think like a really important factor here to bring up is like every woman knows that like no two months ever really feel the same. Mine seem to be in like three month waves where like I'll have two months that are just like totally fine. I don't get mm-hmm. cravings. I don't really even get that much hungrier and then I'll have one month out of the three where it will really hit me where I'm like okay I'm super hungry when I'm PMS and I'm having those carb cravings and like I said like the next month after that I won't experience that so it's not just month to month it it goes you know it goes in waves throughout the year too. And part of that without getting too much into it is going to be dependent on which ovary drops an egg. And there are times where your ovaries won't switch sides month to month. You might have like two eggs on one side two months in a row and then one egg on the other side drop. So that's part of why the months are so inconsistent because it really depends on which side's dropping an egg, which I thought was really interesting. That is interesting. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I have read that before and I didn't even think about that when I was Mm -hmm. pulling up all my notes for this. So that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. And, you know, some women can feel actually what side they're ovulating from. Mm-hmm. I've tried. And I've tried. My, like my mom is always really good at that. And I've tried to pay attention. But I don't. Yeah. I also, and, and everyone's probably going to hate me for this, but I don't experience cramps ever oh. either. Okay. <laughs> so as I've tried to tune into that and <laughs> I just feel nothing. <laughs> right. Everyone I get other symptoms, but I just don't experience that. <laughs> Not to rub it in. Well, no, 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 it's okay because this actually is a good segue into something I want to talk about, which is a practical application of um, not so much the nutrition side of phase training, but the training side, like going to the gym and, and how mm-hmm. you cycle your actual um, training. Good. Uh, so. <laughs> This is good because we we totally have different experiences with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of you probably heard me on uh, the Body IO FM podcast about T3 Fuel. One of the reasons T3 Fuel changed my life is because it completely stopped my like my menstrual cramps are so bad <laughs> that I have been to specialist after specialist to see if they're, you know, I had endometriosis or anything like that. And uh, no, they're just like, you just have what is, I can't remember the term for it now. It's, there's no reason for it. I just have extremely plain, painful periods. There's no hormonal imbalance. There's no um, physical uh, problem with my uterus. They're just extremely, extremely painful. So You're just extreme um, all around. 
Yeah, mixture. Everything I do, like seriously, <laughs> this is my whole life. It's just, it's always like this. You know, they they take the they take the uh, tumor out of my breast, and they've never seen anything like it before. It's not cancerous, <laughs> but they have no clue what it is. I'm like, you can't surprise me anymore. <laughs> so anyway, resveratrol. Um, getting back to the T3 thing, resveratrol has been shown to um, help with painful periods. So any woman with dysmenorrhea is what it's actually called. Uh, resveratrol can help. So since I've been taking T3 fuel, my cramps have been completely tolerable. <laughs> I haven't awesome. passed out. That's great. <laughs> Which is awesome. I haven't passed out since. So anyway, getting back on track, um, because of this and because my strength training, so I use like a 531 protocol. Or I, I, I waive things very similar to the 531 protocol. Um, and I have a deload week. So a blessing for me is that I deload when I have my period. That way, if I just want to go in and do super light stuff, I can do that. If I actually just don't feel like doing anything at all, then I won't do anything at all. And it's still like it never gets me off track. So this would be another thing that would be conflicting with the recommendations in female phase training. Mm -hmm. um, because technically, with what they recommend, you would want to be taking like your week off when you're PMS. Right. Uh, but that wouldn't work for me because I'd be taking like a week off when I'm PMS and then I would be not working to my potential when I have my period. So I would basically taking two weeks every month off, which would not be, that would be counterproductive. Agreed. So um, you can see how like in my situation or anyone else that, you know, experiences heavy bleeding or uh, painful uh, menstrual periods, then you know, you want to coordinate your training with that. And I think that that trumps anything in the recommendations and these protocols. And Agreed. so because you don't have that issue, Alex, have you tried to manipulate your training with your cycle at all? Um, and how, like, how did that work out for you? I have. Mm -hmm. I actually did it more based off of energy levels because that's okay. probably the most obvious thing for me is my energy drops like significantly the week before I get my period so the yes week and that's during, accurate with this right I'm actually totally fine because I don't I'm not experiencing the cramps um sometimes it's a little like low back discomfort but it's nothing that inhibits me from doing what I would normally do in the gym but the week before I mean I am literally like my focus is off I'm it's finding I, my I just want to go to sleep all the time for three to four days okay. um about a week so before my period and I I'm going to stop you right mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just going to interject right there just to like clarify something for the audience. That is accurate with like the research. And mm -hmm. I find the same thing uh, for myself also. So technically day after day 18, that's when your strength will actually plummet. Um, and so that is just accurate with that. So what you've experienced, I experienced that too. Um, but also, also now we're going to talk about how, because you don't have the problems during your period, let's hear a little bit more about what you do. Mm -hmm. um, I just try to keep it, keep it consistent with that. So my deload week might just fall at a different time. It'll fall that week before rather than the week of. And generally yeah. I found everything's pretty consistent during the period. Um, I don't really feel like I need to adjust very, very much. It's only that week before. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, I, tr I still awesome. try to do something. But again, if there's a day where I just, you know, I'm, I'm huffing and puffing, walking up, to, up and down the stairs, I'm like, well, I probably won't go to the gym today. Those are usually opportunities that I'll take to do some body work, do some foam rolling, get out the lacrosse ball, do something, or go on a walk. 
Yeah. That's good advice because you kind of, like we said, changes month to month too. So you do have to just really take it day by day. Mm -hmm. I've experienced that whole strength thing um, exact the same way you have. And then I kind of just get hijacked because uh, when I do have my period, I I find that even more difficult to work out. So I have been trying to manipulate that lately to just kind of see not so much for like body composition changes, but just for peaking strength. Like it kind of sucks when I go into my third wave of five, three, one, when it's technically my weakest week, right? Right. <laughs> right? My strength is probably mm-hmm. at its worst, but at the same time, you know, when you sit back and think about it, I'm, I'm not a competitive power lifter. I, exactly. you know, I do this for myself for leisure. And if I can hit a PR when I'm technically at my weakest, then good for me. Right. Exactly. So, exactly. um, and you I know, it's just one of those kind of things. I think that's a good point that you brought up in terms of like, you're not, you have your strength goals, but you're not trying to be competitive at it. And that's something that's important when, in, t- in talking about how I manipulate it is I'm not going for strength or performance. I'm for the most part up until this, this most recent year where I've been experimenting with more gymnastics skills. Um, I've, I've always been aesthetically training you know, I'm doing it to mm-hmm. look a certain way, um, whether it was in prep for a competition. And, and that is something that we can touch upon in a little bit in how I more manipulate my cycle with my with the diet rather than the training to achieve the aesthetic results that I want. Because there is a lot of things that you could manipulate in that. Um, but when I try to change up my training or sync it up with the cycle, I never let it be something that I worried about too much. If it, if it happened, if it, if it worked out where I could do what I would normally do, great. And if not, no big deal. My focus at that point was to be more consistent with the food right. during that time. And and that brings me to a point where that I really wanted to make sure that we talked about was that people are so busy and they're so stressed out. The, the nutrition is just, it should always be the priority. And when you start trying to manipulate all these other things it's just kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back like Mm -hmm. there's just so many women trying to tackle so many things whether it's you know being a mom being you know a wife being a businesswoman whatever it is I I just find that consistency and keeping stress stress levels down are way more important than trying to run around and coordinate your training and nutrition with your hormonal cycle Mm -hmm. Um, just we, like I said, we have enough charts sometimes. and graphs already. Yeah, yeah, and totally. I just no. I, I like to track my cycle so I know when I'm ovulating and you know when to expect my period. And sometimes that's good on a psychological level because I know we we retain water and we feel kind of bloated, and it's okay. just nice to have that spot check and be like, hey, you know, I just feel this way because it's you know I'm ovulating right now, and in two days it's going to pass. Okay. I think that's way more important than any of this other minutiae that you try to manipulate. Right. And that's definitely true in preparing for the stage as well. Like it's very helpful to know when someone's going to be getting their cycle so that if, you know, they have a show date, for example, mm-hmm. the the show that I got my pro card at, I got my period during the show. And it's like that my worst explain- nightmare. I know, right? <laughs> Luckily, it was after judging, but it explained a lot of what I was experiencing the few days before, you know, because getting to stage is already an emotional experience. There's a lot of, you know, stress and pressure that you put on yourself. Um, and then to just have that amplified the week before and not, you know, and to remind myself that it's 
this is this is part of why I'm I'm feeling this way and experiencing this. Um, but also looking the way that I am, you know, there's a lot of like mm-hmm. water and carbon manipulation that can go into preparing for the stage, and it's very very helpful to know where you're at in your cycle and how your body responds to that because not everybody's the same. No, exactly. So actually something I can ask you, which is one of the questions that uh, one of the listeners asked was, um, you know, is it true that the female body can burn up to, you know, seven or sorry, 500 extra calories per day, you know, when they're PMS? Um, There's studies to show that there is an increase in caloric expenditure. I think the number I hear is like a 7% increase seems to be about average, but that doesn't mean that everyone experiences that. Right. So maybe you probably have a lot of experience with this, with hunger and dieting and contest prep, and maybe you can give us some insight into that. That was also something that varied month to month, and it wasn't consistent. And I don't, it, it was so, it was too inconsistent for me to be able to figure out what was the cause of it. Too many other factors in each situation um, to really be able to answer that properly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you find that women in general just seem to complain that they're hungrier at that time of the month when you're coaching them or um yes. like you said is it just very yeah. Okay. Yes. And I, and I but so, I also think that there's a, there's a stress factor there as well during that time. That and it's yes. hard to know is that what it is because you could not be in that phase of your cycle but be stressed out and experience hunger and appetite increases. Yeah. Yeah, so all these things are really hard to pinpoint. And um, I think, you know, we're just reiterating the fact here that it could be more stress to try to pinpoint these things and figure them out. And because they change month to month, you could just spend a lot of time chasing your tail. Correct. And, uh, and you know, things that change month to month will really throw you off too. Because, you know, sometimes you think for a couple of months you have something dialed and then it just like totally 180s on you. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you're, like, <Yep>. you're like, what? <laughs> because I have gone through so many like, and it's usually like that three month kind of cycle, like two months of like no PMS, no carb cravings, nothing. I'm like, oh, everything's so dialed right now. And then the next month I'm like, oh my God, I couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> yes, that happens um, regularly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Like when you, you pick shows with your girls, do you sometimes try to coordinate that ahead of time is you know when they might get their period and maybe pick a show at a different time like because I know a lot of women especially if they have heavy cycles that would be a reason not to get on stage you know it hasn't been a problem as of now and generally we choose a show that's the most appropriate for them and then hope that things work out and in some cases they don't but you know I've had enough experience both with myself and and kind of manipulating things with other people in that final week that it hasn't been a problem so I recently had another client compete um maybe it was about two months ago and she ended up as well getting her period at the show but she also won her class and qualified for nationals so clearly it wasn't a problem but I did explain (laughs) clearly that you know in the morning of the show she was like you know I do feel still feel a little tummy bloat but overall, I feel fine. And then two hours later, we, we figured out why. <laughs> so, yeah. and, it, and one thing I, I found to be, uh, what's the right word I want to say, um, interesting through competing is, you know, there's a lot of talk 
in the competition world, especially for those who have been on sort of the the traditional dieting approaches, how there's a fear of, of one losing their period because A, their body fat's too low or they've been dieting too much. And that has never been a problem for myself or anybody that I've ever worked with. Periods are, remain consistent. So, you know, we're not manipulating things. We're not driving them, you know, down a hill with all the cardio and th- screwing everything up. Everyone's remained very, very consistent with their cycles, which I find to be just, you know, show how the benefits of the diet and also then yeah. the lack of extra activities we I need to prescribe because the diet works. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think you raised a really important point and not just even for stage competitors, but I, I meet a lot of women through screening consultations for um, coaching that don't get their period and, and they're not stage competitors. They're just, you know, people, like you said, same kind of scenario, even though they're not getting on stage, they've been dieting for extended period of times. They do a lot of cardio. Some of them even cut back the cardio, but and, and you know, and some of them have even tried to implement like a diet like carb night. They just aren't eating enough fat yet. So um, <laughs> I see it all the time, and it's not just athletes and stage competitors. And I think you know that is a big red flag, and it's a, probably a good thing to just touch on right now. Where if you don't have a regular cycle, I, I really think getting to the bottom of that should be at the top of your list of priorities. Um, Agreed. I I just see time and time again that you know. It's an easy thing, especially if you have miserable periods. If if you stop getting them, it's easy to feel like that is a relief and my life is easier <laughs> now and I don't have to deal with this crap every single month. And it's really easy to get in that mindset and think that this is actually a good thing because now I don't have the stress of, you know, my period every month. But I can tell you right now, I have actually been in that position before. Uh, I can maybe talk about that in more detail on another episode, uh, but it was when I was running and on a low-fat diet, and my number one goal in life was to get my period back because that is a major red flag. <laughs> Things are not right. Right. It makes sense. I mean, there's so, a reason that we have it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your body's telling you, you are not healthy enough now to sustain, uh, you know, pr- reproducing, mm-hmm. so we're going to take this away from you. Right. <laughs> that is a red flag. <laughs> Um, so let me just see here. I'm just kind of, I want to make sure we cover everything, um, that some of our listeners chimed in that they wanted. Um, I'm just kind of looking at them right now. We covered like the caloric expenditure increasing, which, you know, it, it does vary person to person. Um, scientific research does show that we do burn slightly more calories when you're PMS, but that doesn't mean that that's consistent with every woman, um, and, and I'd say 500 extra calories is probably really on the high side of the spectrum. I'd say that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, you know, and I got to say, like, even when I was really trying to diet down, I guess it was like a couple years now, um, a couple years ago, you know what, I kind of used that opportunity where I was like, yeah, you know what, I'm, I might be burning a little bit more calories. I'm not going to push my exercise very hard because, like you said, that's the time where you're just feeling lethargic and kind of mm-hmm. gross. Um, but I just kept my nutrition constant, and it was almost like I just got like a, you know, after I lost my water weight from PMS, I leaned out like significantly. And, it, you know, it could have been something to do with that increase in caloric expenditure, Mm-hmm. Not necessarily exercising more, but just not 
pigging out. <laughs> right. Not so feeding into that. You could yeah, you mm-hmm. could you really could use that to your benefit and I have done that myself. Um one of the other questions which, you know, kind of ties into that, um uh, someone asked how do you lean out your lower body and basically spot reduction and mm-hmm. I don't really think that that falls into female phase training. I think that might be another episode uh on its own. So I just don't want that person to think that we ignored their question because it's it's a great question, but I think it's actually a totally different episode on its own. Agreed. Oh, yeah, we could go off on a and, whole separate tangent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we will do that. I think it's a great idea for mm-hmm. the show. So thanks for that. And um, just trying to see if I've got any other questions here that we didn't cover. Well, I mean, someone asked about specifically about doing more cardio in the first phase. So from when you start menstruating to when you ovulate and if there's any truth to that. Personally, I if I was going to do more cardio, that's the time where I feel best doing it. And Right, I was just about to say. I don't know, my cardio is just... Yeah. So, so what were you going to say? I, I just so that if you're... Opinion. That's probably the time where you're, you're, you have the most energy and you're feeling good. So if that's, you know, if you wanted to try to add something extra during that time, that would be the most appropriate time to try it and see what happens. Yeah. And you know what? I think we've also, like a lot of our listeners are kind of past that point of too much cardio anyway, just like they're past that point of overdoing it with the carbs. So we're kind of already, if you guys are on point with the things that we preach and the things that we do, you're kind of already covering your bases. And I really don't think that any of these decisions are really going to make or break you. And, you know, something about cardio, I was just thinking about the other day. Sometimes, so my cardio is really erratic. And it's not something I necessarily plan. It's something that, let me give you a description. So, you know, the weather dictates when I mountain bike. Um, in the winter, sometimes we'll get like tons of snow in a week and I'll basically have to shovel the driver every day of the week, which basically if you've ever shoveled heavy snow in Canada, <laughs> it's almost like doing, it's almost like doing a session, a hit, mm-hmm. especially if you like go into it with that frame of mind where you're like, I'm going to shovel really hard for like a minute and then I'm going to take a two minute break, which I'm going to, I totally do that. But this, the point I want to make is that because my cardio, and these are things that I really do consider to be like my cardio, no, I my totally real life. Agree. Like this, I have weird ones too. Is, Continue. Yeah, so it's like, because it's so erratic and so unpredictable, and so I don't want to say infrequent, but it really is infrequent. I don't, I don't stick to like a cardio plan like all the time. It's, it's these little things. It's so effective. So like... I remember one week last winter where it just dumps snow and I wasn't like, I was eating like maintenance calories, wasn't dieting, wasn't trying to lose weight. I basically did hit like, you know, by shoveling the driveway like four times that week. And then I went and did a bunch of snowboarding on the weekend because it had snowed so much. I just leaned out. Like (laughs) it almost felt like it was overnight. And I really think a lot of those you know, what if I experience is because it's so erratic, my body doesn't expect to be doing all these things all these time, all the time. So when I do do them, I get this amazing result. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And (laughs) you completely agree. Isn't it bizarre? It really is. Well, like another good example is when I moved back to San Francisco, I was, you know, I had been living in Arizona where it's very, very flat. There's no hills anywhere. 
And then I moved back to San Francisco, and that's all there are, are hills. Very, very, very steep hills, if you've ever walked in San Francisco. Very steep hills. And there were many times where I find it easier to sprint up the hill than to walk it, especially <laughs> if I'm in a hurry or if like I need to catch the bus. <laughs> so there were many times where I ended up doing little mini hill wind sprints just because I was, you know, had to go move my car or catch the bus. And yeah. Those little bursts made a huge difference, but they were super random. And then the same thing super. goes for uh, gymnastics training. I don't get to tumble very often. Like I do a lot of the hand balancing and more of like the strength-based moves regularly, but I don't really have a good place to tumble right now. And it's probably been the most inconsistent training addition. But when I do find a place where I can tumble, usually that only lasts maybe 20 30 minutes because I, I haven't done it in a long time. I wipe myself out. But those little bursts of tumbling, big difference. Big difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's like, and I'm just starting to realize like more and more with cardio, it's like the more erratic and more random it is, the more effective it is. And I, I think that approach is awesome because you can just tie it into your life. Like you're saying, like there might be a night I go for a cruiser bike ride. I put my little chihuahua in the basket on the bike and we just go for a little ride. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that's not like it's part of my training plan. It's just something I enjoy doing. And then I might go for a mountain bike ride on the weekend. And then all these little things, when especially when they just happen just randomly and I haven't been doing a lot of cardio to begin with, it's just amazing how it really does change the way you look, like mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and having them, um, I, mean, I think part of it too is having them being enjoyable things, not to say that shoveling the driveway is enjoyable, but <laughs> but the other no, activity, it's not. <laughs> if you're having, you know, if you're enjoying it and you look forward to doing it and it's something that you want to put into your schedule and plan out, I think there's just yeah. additional benefits in there as well. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I guess we kind of just went off on a tangent there, but I think that was just kind of to answer the cardio question about, you know, if, if you were going to do some kind of phase training, would you do your cardio in the first two weeks? And I'm like, yeah, you know what, that's probably when you're going to feel best doing it, throw it in there. Um, I don't think a lot of our listeners are really into excessive cardio anyway. And I think my main point there is just like, really have a little bit of a cardio plan, but just really switch it up and just... Mm -hmm keep it keep it fresh don't fall into a pattern like I do steady state on this day and I do right. like I don't know I just for me it's like the sporadic stuff it's just it's so effective mm -hmm. okay. so was there anything else this was a this was definitely a challenging podcast because there's a lot of information to to cover I you know mm -hmm. the main points we wanted to make is that sure there is some science to show that you know, female phase training might be effective. Um, cortisol and eating a lot of carbohydrates on a regular basis are probably going to negate any of those efforts. Um, I think as far as the training goes, as far as your weightlifting, like Alex and I had discussed, because our actual periods are so different, uh, we have to coordinate our weight training around that. So I think that's going to be a really individual thing. And I just... In general, I think if you're already using carb night or carb backloading or a combination of the two, um, you've kind of already got your bases covered. And I don't know if I drive myself crazy worrying about um, this sort of thing. Correct. Alex, do you want to summarize anything or touch on anything that we possibly forgot before we wrap this one up? I don't think so. I think we covered everything. 
you know, if it's yeah. just really keeping in mind what your goal is and what you're going for and let that be the driving force and keep your eye on the yeah. price. Don't worry about the other stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I just, there's a client I keep on thinking about, um, a client from years ago who the only thing I really thought she needed to do when I looked at her nutrition, she had a pretty dial. Then I was like, you know, you just need to eat more protein. She, she was, uh, she was a really, she trained hard in the gym and she knew what she was doing and her protein intake was just low. Just that suggestion alone, mm -hmm. like I think I suggested like 35 grams of protein more a day was like enough for her to just get super stressed out. Mm. I see a lot of people in that situation where just like, you know, asking them to do something very, very little will just kind of set them over the top. I think it just comes down to they're just too stressed out with life in the beginning. So one extra thing. I just can't even imagine, like, I guess what I'm getting at is I can't even imagine asking most women to start to manipulate this. Right. Unless maybe they're like a professional athlete and this is what they do. Right. And honestly, then they probably have somebody else doing it for them. Yes. In exactly. Most cases. Have someone. <laughs> if yeah, you're a professional you athlete, a you have a you team have a that's working with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And you probably don't get your period anyway. <laughs> that's <laughs> probably true. <laughs> so it's all relevant. And you're on birth control. So whatever. <laughs> um, but seriously, so ladies and guys that are listening to this to help the ladies, um, we really appreciate your questions. I think it's a really interesting topic. But like I said, I think if you're doing carbonate and carb backloading, you kind of got your bases covered. Feel free to tinker with some of this minutia mm -hmm. and find like a pattern that works for you. But don't be surprised if it's the same pattern that you find in a lot of these common articles out there. Um, because like you said, everyone's different. Correct. Exactly. All righty. So I think that is a wrap. Well, thanks, so everyone. thanks again, everyone. Sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> we were going to say a the same today. thing. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for <laughs> listening to another episode of Her Body, brought to you by Body, Body IOFM. We'll see you guys next time. You've been listening to Her Body IOFM with your hosts, Alex Navarro and Andrea Jengel. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more information about women's health and performance. <laughs>